Spotify friends and listeners, the Owl Dog Hour is upon us. Now, this is a freely available episode. It's called The Summer Stack. Now, this episode is about a series of articles I wrote over on Substack at thealdoghour.substack.com. And these articles are about upgrading your life, how to read books, how to write, how to do barefoot sprints, how to play basketball on any court in America. Screen Slavery, Volume 1. Eternal Athlete, Volume 1. Now, I'm putting this episode for free because I want you to go over to Substack afterward, thealdoghour.substack.com, and check out all 20 episodes. That's the central hub where we are right now. But in the meantime, if you're a Spotify person... I'm in the middle of uploading a bunch of episodes to Spotify. This one will be for free. The two prior episodes, Al Dog Origins, Sportsball, and Gaddafi, legendary, excellent, excellent content, just like this episode you're going to listen to. Here's the catch. It's elite, and I can't do that for free. Subscribe on Spotify for $5 a month or on Substack. But if you're here on Spotify... Might as well just subscribe now to get access to those two episodes. And if you don't, I don't really care because we have a growing number of real subscribers over on Substack. But in the meantime, enjoy the show. And if you enjoy it, become a real subscriber for $5 a month here on Spotify or over on Substack. The Owl Dog Hour is truly upon us. The Owl Dog Hour is upon us once again. Episode four, The Summer Stack, is going to be incredible. Probably the most applicable episode for your own personal life yet. What is The Summer Stack, as I'm calling it? The Summer Stack is six articles I've written that will be available to subscribers. And I'm talking about real subscribers. The guys who pay $5 a month, not you freeloader email subscribers. You guys are okay, but we're, we're really trying to, make, we're trying to make you guys real. You know, make you guys real subscribers. And I hope the access to these six articles will do that. If you were smart and you subscribed to the email list early, you already have access to these in your personal inbox. But I'm going to make them available on the Substack to subscribers. Anyways, we're going to be talking about how to read books, how to write, how to do sprints, my personal attitude and practice towards sprinting, talk a little bit of basketball, we'll talk screen slavery, which is pivotal to at least be self-aware of, that screen slavery, slavery to screens, whether it's an iPhone, whether it's a laptop, whether it's you know iPad, television, whatever it is. It all boils down to the same thing, and that's screen slavery. People are even wearing screens on their wrists with the uh, Apple Watch, right? So screens rule everything around us. That's a big one, okay? And those topics are basically designed to put you in a position to level up this summer. Personally, this summer, that's what I'm aiming to do. That's what I do every summer. But this summer in particular, summer 2022, is it's paramount to elevate in this time period, I feel. So let's get into the first topic, how to read books. People know how to read, right? Well, I mean, there are some rappers, particularly Kodak Black and NBA Youngboy, I doubt, I doubt they know how to read beyond like a, a fourth grade level. Those are some guys who come to mind that probably don't know how to read, but most people know how to read. But reading books isn't something they do on a normal basis. Now, is it something you should do to show off and say, hey, look how smart I am? No. Both of those things are incorrect models. Reading books isn't about socially signaling to others that you're so smart because it doesn't make you any more intelligent. You can read all the books you want. You're still going to be the same person. Uh, Reading books, if you choose to, if you want to, 
is one of life's greatest joys, but you want to make sure you have the right intention in doing so. Do you genuinely want to learn about something? Do you genuinely respect or hear good things about this author? What's the purpose for reading the book you have chosen? How do you choose a book? Where to go? I'll tell you what, you want to avoid (laughs) Barnes and Nobles, like that place sucks. New York Times bestsellers, trash, automatic trash. Um, What you want to do is basically find a book culture where you buy one book that's recommended to you, it whoops ass, and you keep on going to the same sources. For me personally, I have to hear about a book. It has to be, it has to get my attention in some way, or the author has to get my attention in some way. They have to go on a podcast. They have to be new, fresh, interesting, intelligent, funny, and they have a book. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to check that out. I'm currently reading a guy named Paul Town. That's uh, it's a book called It Is the Secret. I'm reading that right now, and it was so good, I got the sequel. The sequel is called It Is the Second. That's currently what I'm reading. In addition to another book, you don't even need to hear about it. But we're going to talk about how to read. So important. How to read books. Now, if you have access to that article in your email, a lot of you guys have it in your inbox. I've improved it. It's now going to be available on the Substack for paid subscribers. That article alone is worth the $40 a year. Okay. Uh, These articles alone are worth the $5 a month, whatever it is for paid subscribers, right? Well, that's what it is. $5 a month for paid subscribers, $3 and 33 cents a year. When you do the yearly option, this article alone is worth it, but we're also going to talk about how to write sprints, a little basketball, Screen Slavery, and uh, finally, Eternal Athlete, Volume 1, You Are the Gym, pivotal during this time period, pivotal, pivotal article, so important to have the mentality that you don't need to go to the gym in order to be an athlete. That's a fallacy. And while I'm on the subject real quick, gym culture is wild right now. I uh, stopped going to the gym in 2020, stayed in shape, worked physically. Uh, I primarily work in the construction industry. There's like three guys that I can always work for. They always have work. So that's what I do for like real money. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? So I stayed in shape between 2020 and 2022. A lot of people didn't. They stopped going to the gym. They basically... Well, I'll talk about that later. That's the last one, and that's probably the most important. Um, But we're going to go in order here. We're going to start with how to read books. I got a few points to make about that. But, and I would say real quick, you know, I do believe women are often a reflection of the men in a society. The outfits in gyms nowadays that women wear, wild, literally wild. And if you're an anatomically correct male, you can't help but look over sometimes because it's uh, it's outrageous. It's nothing short of outrageous. We're going to get into that. That is worth talking about. That is worth the price of admission alone. Okay. So, first of all, let's get back to how to read books. Let's get a little bit more intellectual. Let's talk. Let's stop talking about butts. All right, that you might see in the gym because that's low tier and we're highbrow. We are the Al Dog Hour aristocracy. The Al Dog Hour Illuminati, the Al Illuminati, the Al Dog Hour alumni of realness. And anyways, how to read books. Here's what happens, man. People get trained out of it in the public education system. They're basically brainwashed to believe that reading is a chore, where you have these reading assignments that nobody really has to do. And if you do them, you're foolish because it took you two to three hours um, nobody's reading about stuff they're genuinely curious about. What I find very interesting and in a bad way is it, why is it that everybody in every school reads the same books? <laughs> Who is mandating these books, whether it's, uh, you know, Fahrenheit 451, 1984, Animal Farm, uh, what's the other one, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, 
and uh, the catcher in the rye. <laughs> Why does every fucking school have the same reading list? That's preposterous. I must only conclude that they want those ideas. They want those constructs, the establishment. That's what I mean by they, the pyramid structure, not any particular group, but maybe the metaphorical beast wants those ideas in our heads. That's why that those books, those mandated books are the same everywhere. I went to two high schools. It's the same reading list, right? At two different high schools. Why is that man? Um, so that's kind of my conspiracy theory on some of the required reading. Um, everybody's familiar with the same books, those constructs, they must want those constructs in our head. How many times do you hear people make 1984 metaphors? You know what I mean? All the time. Anyways. So another note about how the education system trains you out of reading. Reading is one of reading a good book, man. That's one of life's greatest joys, period. It's not a chore. Another way they do it is I remember specifically when we had textbooks, right? You weren't allowed to highlight. You weren't allowed to make marks because that was seen as an act of vandalism because some kid was going to have that same book the next year. So you couldn't mark it up. What happened to me when I switched high schools, right? They were like, hey, you should highlight. You should. And I was like, what? Highlight? Make marks in the book? That's crazy. I could get in serious trouble for that. They're like, no, it's, it's your book. You should highlight it. Um, you should make notes. You should read actively. So when you don't highlight, when you don't make marks, some people like to use pencil. I personally like highlighter. Some people use pen. Some people use both. Some people use sticky notes I've seen. But the bottom line is that when you're reading, you're reading actively. So when they told us, hey, don't mark up your book, they were training us to read not actively. Okay. That's another thing to think about because a lot of people in your life don't read books, right? And you might, but they don't because they've been trained out of it. It's a natural instinct for a human being to be intellectually curious, right? I think a anatomically correct human being with their instincts intact would love a library, not just a single book, but to own a shit ton of books and then pass that down to the next generation and the next generation after that. Imagine having a library, lineage, a lineage library, something like that, a multi-generational library. That's how you need to think. That's how I'm thinking because I'm going to pass on my library and then it's going to (laughs) be, by the time I'm passing on my library, it's going to be a multi-million dollar library. I'm not kidding. Um, I've probably read like 300 books, man. And I only started reading in like shit. 2017 ish is when I got serious. I, you know, uh, typically I would work all week and then during the weekend I'd crush a book and I'd like to make another point about the social signalers. Anybody who claims to read more than one book in a week is full of shit. You'll get these influencers who claim to read. They're pretentious in their preaching of reading. Hey, man, you really need to read books. How often do you hear that? But in reality, they're full of shit. They probably read the Cliff Notes at best. It's always, That's my gauge. Anybody claiming more than one a week is insane. I think one a month is proper. Reading 12 books a year is proper. You don't want to be a recluse who is effectively escaping via books. You don't want to do that either. But when it comes down to how to read books, it's physiological and it's about manipulating your attention span to your benefit, which is very doable. The next thing is finding your reading rhythm, as I call it, your comfort zone. Now, I'm going to tell you about mine. Yours is probably different, but I'll tell you about mine. 
My favorite time to read is in the morning, typically on weekends. My brain is the most fresh in the morning. After a cup of coffee, I'm ready to rock. If I want to crush a book and I'm serious about it, I'll do it on a weekend. First thing I do when I wake up, get a coffee and lay down and read and get my highlighter. I'm ready to rock. Now, I personally will have my phone near me during this process because often I think of ideas and I write them down in my iPhone's notepad. So as far as the phone that needs to be addressed, where is it when you're reading? I have it near me, you know, whatever. So that's typically my favorite time to read. I prefer silence, total silence. And that's, that's a luxury item. Silence is golden. There's a reason why that that is a saying. What I've learned in the construction industry is people will pay a lot of fucking money for peace and quiet, man. Because it is luxurious. You know, life is crazy with, you know, work schedules, family, friends, this, that, the third. Um, So I... Anywhere you can achieve peace and quiet is truly something to treasure. So that's what I personally prefer, laying down in the morning when my brain is fresh, on a weekend, crushing a book. Love it. I'm physically tired. It is so important to be physically tired um, when you decide to read. Because me personally, when if I don't eat a good diet, if I eat too much, really drink too much coffee even... If I'm not in a good physiological state, it's going to be difficult for me to pay attention, right? And I'm the type of guy that I need to work out or I'm going to freak out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So post-workout is great. Um, post-walk, walking is probably the best way to regain your attention span if you find yourself losing it. ADD or whatever, that that's obviously bullshit. That's not a real thing. Um, you know, everybody knows that at this point, but not a real thing. And anybody who does believe it, it's a real thing. Try taking a walk and then see if you can regain your focus. Do push-ups. Reading is a physiological exercise. Often I'll read a chapter, right? And then I'm like, shit, I need to walk a little bit. I need to do some push-ups. I need to do some, some abs. I need to do some pull-ups, whatever it is. And then your attention span is back in action. So it's really about manipulating your attention span. And the best way to do that is uh, through diet and exercise. Intermediate sets of exercise, whether it be push-ups, is my personal favorite. Um, Stretching. These things can regain your attention span. And you can read. People always say, oh, I can't read books. Dude, you can. Or people say they don't like to finish books. You can do it. What I do to make sure I finish, if I, if I can't finish a book, the book's trash. And that's okay. A lot of books are trash. Um, what I typically do is when I've selected a book or I come across a book, I've got a book in my physical possession, I do what's called the 10-page test. You can tell in the first 10 pages whether or not a book is going to be good. I've read some books where I start the 10-page test, I don't put it down, and I just start binging because it's that good, and I can't stop. I've read some books where it's so good, I have to put it down, take a deep breath, and go for a fucking walk because I have to digest what I just consumed, and it's incredible, okay? There's that aspect of Damn, dude. Like, when you're into a book, when you're into a book that you're genuinely into... It's like a 12-hour movie playing in your head that you can start, stop, play whenever you want, okay? Some books are like that. Some books hit, oftentimes I feel like I'm reading the perfect book at the perfect time. That's incredible. Just hits you. And it's right where you're at intellectually speaking to you directly. That's the shit. There's there's no other way to describe it. And what I do to make sure I finish books, let's say I get halfway through. It's decent. Halfway through a decent book, right? To reward myself, I only put 
books I've finished on my bookshelf. So when I look at my bookshelf, it's all books that I've finished and I feel pretty great about it. And my library has grown amazingly. It's very impressive at this point. So it encourages me to, to finish it, right? Get it done and put it on my shelf because I can't put it on my shelf unless I finished it because that would, that would ruin the whole thing if I put books I didn't finish on my bookshelf. So actively read your reading environment, how to po- pick a book. You know, for me, it has to hit my radar. Amazon has the best selection overall, but what I really like is, you know, maybe books that got banned from Amazon or maybe books that are only available on a specific website. Uh, If Amazon jacks up the price, usually a pretty good sign. I personally prefer books because I don't like to do that much screen reading. You know what I'm saying? We'll get into that a bit later with Screen Slavery Volume 1, but... I get enough fucking screens, basically. It's really enjoyable to read a physical book. It's easier on the eyes, uh, basically. So, books to avoid. New York's New York Times bestseller, Trash. Um, you want to avoid people who you know are constantly socially signaling about the books they read. But at the same time, you want to sort of engage with people who are actively reading good books. Because... The next level of comprehension when it comes to book reading is the social aspect. If you've read the same book as another person, boom, you got a you got a great place to have a conversation. You know what I mean? Or somebody tweets out a book they're reading, like, oh shit, I read that. Oh yeah, it was good, blah, blah, blah. Or I didn't like it, that book sucked, blah, blah, blah. It's overrated. The social aspect of reading is probably the most important. Ideally, you know, within a group or at least one other person. You don't need like a reading club. You don't need any of that shit actually at all. Two people reading the same book. That's a fucking book club, man. That's an awesome book club. So a book itself is a luxury item. It doesn't matter. It might cost as little as $10, right? It's a luxury item because it requires time to partake in that, right? And time is finite. You know, not a lot of people have a lot of time or a lot of times people have tons of time, but they make shit use of it, right? Screens, TV, video games, uh, social media, dopamine addiction, whatever the case may be. People always have the time, man. People have the time, but a book nonetheless is a luxury item. So that is how to read books. You got to find your rhythm, find the physiological state that works best for you. Take exercise in between, find the time of the week with your work schedule when you can find the time to read. You don't need to become a bookworm, but you should be reading at least a handful of books a year. Right, I think that's that's a great place to start. But start with something you're interested in. Find a plug. Find a a person whose book recommendations you trust. There's some guys, uh, in particular, this one podcaster called Crow Triple Seven. Whenever he recommends a book, I know it's money. He doesn't miss. Find somebody whose book recommendations you trust. And then you're in there, man. And then you're going to discover the joy of reading something that was lost for me for a very long time because the education system, as it currently stands, trains you out of reading, trains you not to read. And it takes getting back in touch with your own instincts to be the reader that is natural to you. Owl Dog Hour, episode four, The Summer Stack, is upon us. How to write. Now, I have two books coming out next year. Published books. Physical books. I'm not into the digital books. I think it'll be available for Kindle. No, I know it will be, or whatever, but 
I'm not so much into the digital books. I've only read one from my friend, but other than that, you know, not into it. Two physical books, how to write. I talked about this a lot in episode three. You need to check out episode three. You need to subscribe. Fact. But my writing process where I basically started writing my own stuff when I started a blog back in 2015 and, you know, big time names would pick up on it. Granted, I was writing about them because I was uh, checking out their content. But basically, I started writing my own stuff and big names started sharing my stuff. Fine. I follow a few rules when it comes to writing. You want to write how you talk and you want to write about what you know. If you write about shit you don't know about, people are going to pick up on it real fast. You can't really hide when it comes to writing. If it's real, it'll resonate. If it's not, people will see through it and it's not going to resonate. It's amazing. Um, So those are my two simple rules uh, when it comes to writing. Uh, I do my best writing in the morning, right? That's when my brain is at its best. The first draft, get it done. Absolutely get it done. So what I'm doing right now with my second book, my second book's at 22,000 words. To put things in context, 100,000 words is roughly 200 pages. My first book is already at 100,000 words. It's already been edited. You know, there's a few things I think I can improve upon, but I'm turning that in in September. It'll be on available pre-sale soon, and uh, it'll be out next spring, right, fully. The Charter. A Millennial Journey Out of Hip-Hop Hypnosis, a classic. So my goal right now is to get to 100,000 words with my second book. It's currently at 20, 20, it's a 20, 22,000 right now currently. So it's basically a rough, rough draft. You got to write it. You just got to go, man. You just got to do it. Don't go crazy um, trying to make something perfect the first draft. Just get it done and then see what you got and see where you can improve. I like to turn weaknesses into strengths after identifying weakness. Now, a lot of just like reading, manipulating your attention span is probably the most pivotal skill you can have during this time period. People's brains, including myself sometimes, get fucked when it comes to technology. It trains people to be uh, dopamine monkeys, basically. Um, You know, I discussed a theory last night where I think that Twitter is the Neuralink. I think uh, Neuralink meaning like Elon Musk brain chip. I think it's already here. I think Twitter is Neuralink um, because it basically creates a dopamine feedback loop, as does much of social media, right? But it's, it's ultimately not good for your brain. It's, uh, it makes you feel crazy. And people who spend too much time on these screens, they end up going crazy. Like it's baked in the cake. You're going to go nuts if you, if you spend too much time doing that. So a lot like reading a book, writing is about manipulating your attention span. Next thing is uh, put yourself into time crunches. If you got to get it done, you got to get it done. You know what I mean? There's no avoiding it if you're on a time crunch. I'm on a very strict schedule. Um, I've already laid it out because I want to have my second book done by November 1st. And, uh, in order to do that, I'm going to have to, um, write X amount of words per week. I have it all scheduled out. So that is how to write quickly. You know, if you're, uh, if you're interested in doing that, you will do it. If not, no worries. Writing books definitely isn't for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody. It's something I wouldn't recommend to anybody actually, but you know, we all got to write. And one thing I think about often is if you've ever seen like letters from the 1800s, these people write in the most beautiful cursive with perfect English, right? And you compare that to today where it's primarily emojis. It really makes you think, You know, when people were writing genuine thoughts to their friends and family via candlelight, why were they so superior in their final product? That is worth thinking about. And it's something I think about often. Al Dog Hour, episode four, the summer stack.
These articles are available to subscribers. If you got in on the game early, you have these in your email. But it's time that you get in on the ground floor. Subscribe to the Owl Dog Hour fully for $5 a month, $40 a year. Make it happen because you just need to. Get in on the ground floor, man. This is going to be gnarly. Uh, The next thing we're going to talk about, next topic of the summer stack, how to do sprints, man. You want to talk about a primal exercise that gets your heart going, that makes you sweat, that gets you high, frankly. You got to learn how to do sprints. And I'm going to tell you how I do it personally. I sprint barefoot. I don't like the term grounding because uh, people feel like they're doing something special when they say they're grounding. You're not doing anything special. You're just being a natural, anatomically correct human being, right? So the yuppie model, right, where you got your sneakers, you got your outfit, you got your music going, I'm not going to say that's terrible, Um, Because it works for a lot of people. They're sweating. They're getting it done. They're going on their jog. That works for a lot of people. That doesn't work for me personally. This is what I do, right? No matter where you live, it doesn't matter if you live in New York, Los Angeles, suburbs, country, coast, wherever, you have access to fields, unoccupied outfields, soccer fields, just anywhere, um, I like to go where there's not a lot, when there's not a lot of people around, but you have access to flat grass fields. I take my shoes off completely barefoot and I do 10 currently 100 yard, 80 to 90% sprints, strides, if you will, not an all out, all out sprint, but a sprint at about 80 to 90%. I started doing that. People thought I was wild. People thought I was nuts. But I maintained a gnarly physique results. And it builds your calves like no other exercise in the game. Barefoot running. It develops your foot muscles. It develops your ankle muscles. Basically, the sneaker trains us not to use a ton of muscles that we should be using. When you jog on pavement, right? kills your joints, man. I'm never sore when I do barefoot running, barefoot sprinting. But if I were to engage in a jog with sneakers on pavement for a few miles, yeah, I'll get sore. I'll be, I'll be cool, but I will get sore and I'm unlikely to replicate that daily. With barefoot sprinting, you can, you could do this every day easily. I typically do it every other day. I'll do weights, then I'll do barefoot sprinting, you know what I mean? Weights, barefoot sprinting. I'm involved with, you know, basketball, you know, I play a little bit of ultimate Frisbee nowadays. So that's something you can get addicted to. And that's a very, very positive addiction this summer, because let me ask you a question. When is the last time you sprinted? For a lot of people, it's years. It's even decades sometimes, unless you're playing basketball or soccer, football, uh, you haven't sprinted in a long time. And when it comes to sprinting, that's a, that's a fight or flight exercise in a major way. So if you are to answer that question, you know, Hey, shit, when is the last time I sprinted the follow-up? When should I sprint again today? Um, you know, it's a weekend right now. It's Saturday. Go, uh, I would go late evening when there's nobody around, you know, just before it gets dark, there will be a field available in your area to do some sprints and it feels great. You basically get high now. And I prefer this. I prefer to be shirtless, barefoot sprinting, especially this time of year, the summer, um, because it's just very freeing in comparison to being strapped to, you know, uh, headphones and uh, a music player device, right? So I contrast often the yuppie model, you know, with the barefoot model. And you can decide which is best for you. I personally love the barefoot model. And I, I have some theories on it. 
I think it builds your immune system. I haven't been sick since like 2017. Okay. Um, you know, I'll get a, a cough or, you know, a little bit of a cold every now and then, but I do believe it builds your immune system. I do believe there's something about getting in touch with the electromagnetic currents of the earth. I think that is largely beneficial. Um, I mean, one time, the only injury I've ever had is I got stung by a bee one time, but I even think there's a blessing in that. And it was a bad bee sting. My whole leg got swollen and shit. I couldn't walk. Um, but even that, I, I, in a bizarre way, I think there, there are health benefits to bee stings. You know, people often ask, oh, what if you step on something or if you do? That's part of it um, because it's part agility exercise. I've never stepped on anything harmful. I think that your peripheral vision and your reactions prevent that. But if you are to dodge something, which I have done in the past, barefoot sprinting, now it's an agility exercise. There's this one field I sprint at. It's a soccer field, right? I avoid the white lines. That's part of it. That's part of the fun of barefoot sprinting. Now, we're briefly going to touch on one of my favorite summer topics, which is basketball. No matter where you're at, whatever city or town, there's a group of people that regularly play basketball, whether it's outside or at a gym. No sweat compares to the sweat I get when playing basketball. The sprinting workout doesn't compare to the amount of sweating after basketball. And the best part is you don't even think about it. You get caught up in the moment of what I think is a telepathic game, uh, basketball, being able to anticipate the future one or two seconds in advance. Um, One of my favorite sports ever, something that is aerobic, it is requires you to start and stop jump which a lot of people don't do a lot of people don't do jumping you know jumping isn't a normal exercise for everyday people right when's the last time you really jumped as high as you could when's the last time you were in a competition against somebody else to jump as high as you can to get the ball when's the last time you tried to creatively get by a person right while they're doing their best to make sure that they, they, they don't allow you to get by them. That's their job, right? When's the last time you uh, went one-on-one with somebody in a head-to-head athletic competition? That's a test of wills. One-on-one basketball is oftentimes the most intense competition you can possibly have. Now, on the summer stack... Well, actually, this this article is uh, available publicly, but it's basketball is a summer sport. How to play basketball on any court in America. No matter what city I'm living in, no matter what city I've lived in, I've found a regular basketball schedule because it's available. Uh, Soccer and I think basketball are the top two most popular sports in the world. If you live in the United States, there are people playing basketball and you can get involved and you can learn a lot of valuable life lessons on the pickup basketball court. I'm 31 and uh, it's not something I'm going to ever stop doing. I'll be playing local basketball when I'm 60 for sure. I've played with guys against guys in their you know 50s, 60s. A, a lot of them can still ball. A lot of them can still shoot for sure. I know some sharpshooters in their 50s and in their 60s. In terms of getting in shape and not thinking about it, not obsessing over it, basketball is the way to do it, man. Basketball is one of the best. <sighs> I wouldn't call it necessarily cardio because it's it's partially uh, like a straight-up sprint, uh, a start-stop sprint. If you can call that cardio, I'm not really sure. But it can get intense. And the social aspect, the social competition aspect, which I think is so important for us to, as humans, um, to be on a team, to, uh, to have people dependent on you, to get it done, even though it's seemingly frivolous, it simulates a lot of uh, important life interactions where if you don't, you, if you don't do your job on defense, 
you're an ass and uh, everybody's kind of pissed at you. If you're taking wild shots and you're not getting it done, everybody's kind of pissed. And then the opposite of that, if you're crushing, if you're playing good defense, if you're scoring, if you're distributing the ball, you're the fucking man in that moment. And I think that's something people need to experience more. But as it pertains to our scenario here, the summer stack, uh, read that article because that's going to put you in a position to play hoops this summer. If, the, if it's not something that you normally do, it's definitely something you're going to start to think about. There's always a CD element at some of these basketball courts. That's just going to make you street smart, right? So that's something to be aware of. You want to go there to hoop. You don't, you don't want to go there to hang out. Um, so that I just want to briefly talk about this. And then we're going to talk about the next thing. We got screen slavery. And then we got eternal athlete. Those are the next two posts. Now, the next subject might be the most important of the century. And that is screen slavery. When we look at the boomers and their worship of television... We must come to the conclusion that the same thing cannot happen to us in regards to smartphones, laptops, etc. I used to be stuck in a fallacy where I thought I was somehow better than the boomers because they did television and, hey, look at me with my smartphone and my uh, laptop. There's no difference. It's screen slavery. It's screen worship. Now... When it comes to something like video games, people are becoming screen slaves, right? Hours and hours and hours on video games. I know this because when I was in seventh grade, I was addicted to video games. I would spend sometimes 10 or 12 hours on a game if I was really into it. So when it comes to video games, my argument isn't that they're not awesome. My argument is that they're completely fucking awesome and I can't be around them. So that's my stance on video games in the topic of screen slavery. Now, when it comes to social media, I've come to the conclusion, I don't think men should be on Instagram. Uh, I think Twitter, you should be tweeting like a few times a day and then uh, log off. (laughs) Uh, These are the conclusions I've come to because... I find myself in a dopamine feedback loop where I think that, you know, I'll say a joke or, uh, you know, have an observation. You get instant feedback. So that's going to encourage you to do it more. It's AI algorithmic slavery um, where you, you see people get addicted to Twitter all the time. And I've also noticed with that particular app, sometimes people can't see outside of it. They think that that's the only website that exists. Um, when there's a whole big world out there, Twitter is the trailer park of the internet. (laughs) Most people don't know that it's a, you know, it's not, um, it's somewhere where anybody can go. Essentially, anybody can afford to be on twitter.com right now. This is something I've observed recently when it comes to Instagram, the overall topic here being screen slavery in man's relationship to technology. Will he use it as a tool or will he use it as a crutch of escapism? Because it's ultimately not real. It's not the real world. It's not right in front of your own eyes and your own ears. Instagram, right? I want you to conduct an experiment. Let's say you're talking to a woman on direct message on Instagram, which is totally fine. It's a great way to meet chicks in, in real life is personal is superior, but it's a great way to meet chicks, right? Let's say you're talking to a chick on your direct message. I want you to observe something. Next time you go to the search function on Instagram, you're going to notice that the girls in the accounts that are featured are going to be similar to the women you're talking to on direct message. Like, uh, it's best to use a racial example, right? Let's say hypothetically you're talking to an Asian girl on direct message, and then you go to the search function. You're going to see more Asian girls in your search algorithm. The search algorithm on Instagram is 
probably one of the biggest traps in the game, especially for men, because it algorithmically farms your type. Let's say I don't recommend doing this. I recommend unfollowing all the supermodel and the Instagram model accounts. But let's say you're following a few, right? That search algorithm is going to figure out what you like. And it's going to feature more girls um, that are all naked, right? And a lot of them incredibly beautiful, right? On your search feature. Um, So for that reason, I just don't think that men should be on Instagram unless you're using it as some kind of tool because it is basically softcore pornography and a uh, method of distraction. Now, cryptocurrency. The smartest guys I know baby boomers that own businesses and assets, they never had the slightest interest in cryptocurrency. They couldn't fucking care less. I don't think smart people are too involved in that scene. I don't think currency trading is something that everyday people should be engaged in. I personally have zero interest in currency trading for the most part. You know what I mean? So the whole crypto thing, it's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down to control people. It's ultimately a method of control is what it is. And I think that whole culture is whack. NFTs, to be honest, you can do some interesting things with NFTs. I've seen, uh, I saw this one guy, he sold a book via an NFT and whoever purchased the NFT would then get a dollar for each book that he sold. So people got invested in the project. So I like to um, make fun of NFTs and you know say they're just cartoons and shit like that. But there are some cool things you can do. But I'd say 99% fucking cartoon scams, um, you know, as it pertains to the topic of screen slavery. Owl Dog Hour, episode four, The Summer Stack. Get subscribed. We're going an hour a week. But I've been doing two episodes a week because I'm just coming out of the gates and people are getting in on the ground floor. Um, TikTok, absolutely absurd. Waste of time. It says so in the name. Um, Yeah, I can't do it. I can't get involved. Uh, Dance videos, karaoke, what the fuck, dude? You know what I mean? Uh, Not into it at all uh, when it comes to TikTok. Now... We got to talk about the physiological reality of something like television or YouTube. And that is the fact that your mind goes into a hypnotic state when you're engaged in these things. Now, television is old school screen slavery. Now with algorithms and live feedback, the screen slavery has gotten very, very intense. You go out in public, you see people with their heads down, looking at their phone. That's a method of slavery. You see people with Apple watches, like as if they're not getting enough screen time, that's slavery. That's screen slavery. Now, things like getting out in nature is becoming sort of a luxury good in a sense, right? It's sort of becoming something that's highbrow. And uh, that's something to think about. So basically when you watch television, your mind is in a hypnotic state. The best comparison to make is if you've ever been in the same room as somebody watching television and you try to get their attention and you can't because they're literally in a trance. That's because the brainwaves that are produced when you're watching television are uh, similar to the ones that occur when you're under hypnosis. Now, what we have in our society, and I'm talking about all screens, just the generality of all screens. I'm focusing on television a little bit now, but it's only to put things in context to make you understand how much more dangerous these iPhones and laptops really are. I think that the internet celebrities of the future might not even exist. They might not be real people. They might just be algorithm dopamine, feedback loops. So basically you're going to hear and see exactly what you want because on social media, the only productive thing that's happening is that you're submitting data and that data is later farmed. Uh, 
and uh, it's basically spit back at you by e-celebs. Elon being the best example. I think that Elon Musk's Twitter account is literally artificial intelligence. I really doubt that man is traveling in space and coming back down to earth only to fight for freedom of speech, right? That whole narrative is ridiculous. Rather, I think that his account features memes and talking points that are exactly, and I mean literally exactly, what you want to hear. Now, I think it is important to use language like slavery as it pertains to some of these screens. It's important to use strong language to convey a message. When it comes to television, right, or video games, or YouTube, or uh, social media, sensational language, religious language, can be used to make a point. For example, the Super Bowl is a television worship ceremony, an annual worship ceremony. Nobody watches television. They worship it. Even if they're not aware of it, they're worshiping. Uh, so I, I use these sensational phrases sort of to drive home a point. And it's something that I struggle with, man. Uh, as a funny guy, as a writer, I'm susceptible to Twitter addiction, right? Instagram doesn't really work for me because uh, taking pictures isn't part of my life. <laughs> I, I just I find it strange every time I, I catch myself. Uh, taking pictures out in public. It's just not something that I do. So I'm not immune to any of this shit. If anything, I know it so well because I am actively addicted to some of these screens. And one thing I've noticed on Twitter is that if you have a big account, you're essentially a dopamine dealer where you're (laughs) getting other people hooked on your dopamine, whether you're aware of it or not, via retweets, via likes, Um, So you're kind of like at the top of a dopamine pyramid. But the important thing is to be aware of screen slavery and the methods of getting out of it are really nature, um, finding value in things that aren't screens and all screens in general, whether it be video games, computers, iPhones, to just be aware of it. That it is slavery and that uh, once you see it, it is the first step to sort of making corrections and crushing uh, with your own personal life. What I find is the best method out of screen slavery is physical work, Um, you know, whether it's at a construction site or whether it's outside um, doing something that like gardening, for example, is a great way out of screen slavery. Final topic. Eternal Athlete Volume 1. Al Dog Hour, Episode 4, The Summer Stack. You need to subscribe. Four episodes deep, get in on the ground floor. Episode 1 was about ritualistic sacrifice within hip-hop. Happens quite a bit. A lot of rappers die. What's going on with that? Episode 2, Gaddafi and Sports Ball. Gaddafi, the Libyan dictator, legend, really nailed it as it pertains to sports ball and being a vicarious spectator instead of a competitor and athlete yourself. Now, my third book is titled Al Dog Athletics, The Esoteric Truth of the Eternal Athlete. So these posts are going to go in that book. We got 10,000 words of posts. A book is about 100,000 words with my model. So you're getting like 10% of the book in advance when you subscribe to the Al Dog Hour radio on Substack. So definitely do that. It's, it's incredible. And uh, subscribers are going to have access to things that the plebs aren't. I'm just going to leave it at that. And this next post is probably the most important to my own personal life and to yours as well. And that is Eternal Athlete Volume 1. Now, we need to talk about gym culture. I want to say real quick, man, this is an idea that became crystallized to me last night, basically. I've come to the realization that a lot of uh, fitness influencers are used to spread 
while I'm on the subject of, you know, gym culture, being an eternal athlete versus uh, sort of gym culture, right? You don't need the gym to be an eternal athlete. That's the basic synopsis of this post. But real quick, man, I wanted to mention that fitness influencers are often used to promote psychedelics and open relationships. I've noticed this and a lot of other people have noticed it as well. We'll get back to that because first I got to dive into the ridiculousness of gym culture, you know, counting macros, uh, weighing your food on a scale, the self-worship that comes with constantly taking, taking photographs of yourself just for aesthetics, not for any sort of performance. That whole culture is ridiculous. Taking pictures of donuts, outrageous, absolutely an outrageous culture. So you don't need that in order to stay in shape. Okay. What I did during Bologna, Bologna viral is I did something called the 300 pushup workout where every time I felt fat, I felt not strong. I felt, you know, weak. I would drop down, do a set of pushups. By the end of the day, I would have done damn near 300 every single day. And now that's without commuting, without showering, (laughs) you just do them throughout the day. And then 300 pushups per day, that adds up. Doing something like basketball, doing something like sprinting that I talked about before, these are ways you can stay in shape. You don't necessarily need the gym because what happened between 2020 and 2022 is people got fat because they stopped going to the gym. They became dependent on gym culture. They became dependent on that pattern to be an athlete when an eternal athlete is going to work out regardless because they have to, right? Because they need to in order to... Uh, be at their optimum. So, and I have to mention, man, that yes, I think that women are a reflection of men. That being said, men are letting a lot fly nowadays because the outfits and gyms are absolutely absurd uh, that women wear. You can see inside them. And I say that with no hint of hyperbole. You can see inside their ass cracks, inside their pussies, whatever. You can. You can absolutely see it um, in public, and it's classless. Um, It's as as classless as wearing yoga pants. Um, Ridiculous. Um, But there has been a noticeable difference post-2020, right? Coming back to the gym 2022. Uh, It's outrageous. I've never been a bigger advocate of uh, gender segregated gyms and the vibe I get at when I go to the gym now, it's kind of like almost like a nightclub vibe, which is fine. But is that really what I'm there to do? I'm, I'm in and out, you know, I do my exercises, I get my reps in and I try to leave because, uh, you know, there's people there you go to the gym and there you see the same people every time. It's like they live there, um, which is okay. But is that really the model of an eternal athlete, or are you kind of hanging out there? You know what I mean. Is it kind of like your your social club? Um, so the three hundred push up workout that I mentioned earlier, this can apply to sit ups. You know, maybe not pull-ups, but you can get to damn near 100 pull-ups in a day. Do that every day. It's going to add up. I think it's so important to have something constructive to do that exercise, whether it's basketball, whether it's you join um, a soccer league, something that a team-oriented or social versus sort of um, this gym culture where it's kind of the same thing. Oftentimes, I feel like a hamster. You know what I mean? And I think it's important to get gains in order to do something constructive, uh, do something competitive. Uh, I used, people used to lift weights in order to perform better playing sports. They didn't lift weights just to lift weights. You see what I'm saying? And, and there's some famous athletes, whether it be, you know, Alan Ever- Iverson or Kevin Durant, they don't lift weights, but they're incredible athletes, right? Um, But that being said, you get some high highs from lifting heavy weight. Just get like you get some high highs from basketball. You get some high highs from soccer. You get some uh, high highs from sprinting. 
it's overall very positive. That's I want to make that clear. I'm not completely shitting on gym culture, but just some things I've noticed uh, in my own personal life. And so all these six posts I'm going to make available to subscribers. Five bucks a month, $40 a year. The Owl Dog Hour is coming at you once a week at minimum. I've been doing it twice a week, but every episode has been classic so far in its own way. So get in on the ground floor. That's all I have to say. Owl Dog Hour, episode four, already at number four. Have a great day, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, so that was it. Owl Dog Hour, the summer stack episode. If you want access to all those articles, you head on over to the owldoghour.substack.com. In the meantime, if you want access to all the audio episodes that I'm uploading currently, become a subscriber here on Spotify for $5 a month. Or if you want access to everything at the Central Hub, head on over to the Substack at theowldoghour.substack.com. But I'm going to keep uploading episodes here. A lot of them are going to be exclusive to subscribers only. So if you're on Spotify, might as well subscribe here. Or if you want everything, you head on over to the Substack. The Owl Dog Hour is truly upon us.